0: This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Sorab Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.
1: Well, Welcome to an exciting series of episodes that we are covering on um, sports professionals. This is one of the very uh, special episodes because we have never invited a sports professional till now in any of our episodes. So uh, Baxter is one of the first uh, people whom we are inviting uh, in this special series. And I'm hoping that more sports professionals will become part of this uh, series where we talk about, um, you know, how sports kind of has a direct impact on your day-to-day life. Sports is a hobby for a lot of people, but it becomes a profession for a lot of people when they can earn some money out of it. Uh, so Baxter is a professional cricketer at Cricket NSW and Sydney Thunders, if people have heard about the Big Bash League, which is quite uh, popular in December, January in Australia. Um, and uh, Baxter is also studying a Bachelor's of Psychology. Uh, so I would pass it on to you, Baxter, because as a tradition, we generally don't introduce our guests. Uh, we don't waste lot of time introducing our guests because we want you to narrate your own story in your own words to the listeners. So pass it on to you to give our listeners a brief about what you do and uh, how did you think of becoming a cricketer?
2: Yeah, beautiful. First of all, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much for the invite to come onto the podcast. Uh, I was very honoured to get the invitation. Uh, and then me. So I've grown up in Sydney. Uh, I'm 23 years old now and I've been contracted cricketer for the last six years now. So New Wales for six years and Sydney for four years. So I was lucky enough to grow up. I went to an all primary school and then I was lucky enough to go to the King's school for my high school. Uh, that school was wonderful for me, not only for academics, but also co-curricular activities. I had my cricket coach there, put a lot of time and effort into me. And it's part of the reason why I'm at where I am today. Uh, and then from graduating from school, I then went into uni. I do uni part-time. I did sport and exercise management when I first left. And then after a couple of terms, I found out that it wasn't really for me and I wasn't really progressing anywhere with that. So then I left there and then I did a Bachelor of Psychology, which I'm still partaking in currently. Uh, I suppose off the cricket field, I'm an ambassador to a charity called the Cooper Rice Breeding Foundation, which raises awareness and conducts research into sarcoma cancer, which is one of the leading causes of cancer in um, children, uh, which is quite a stark and confronting uh, life when you see people go through it, especially when they're children and got so much longer to live. Besides that, I'm also uh, starting up a public speaking where I go around to schools and corporates to tell my story and hopefully uh, in line with a few people on the progress that I've taken across from my story and hopefully one day help someone else. Yep. so what was uh,
1: the first time that you thought of uh, seriously thinking about cricket or was was it always the case with you that since the time you were 10 years old, you were holding a bat and ball in your hand, you were like, I want to become a
2: cricketer when I reach 15. Yeah, so I actually grew up playing cricket and rugby, just the natural ways anyone gets into sport. And then it wasn't until I was 15 When I was 15, I broke my arm playing cricket and then sort of made the decision to stop playing rugby uh, because I missed half of the season. I felt like I was better at cricket, uh, which has paid paid out so far, which is nice. But it was from that decision where I went to an underage carnival and I didn't get picked for the Australian side. And like any 15-year-old kid, you come home, you start kicking toys and go, I think I probably should have been in that team. And then I went to my coach that was at school and he said, look, Baxter... Uh, you're going to face plenty of ups and downs in your career, but you can also go away and come back two different ways. You can kick up stones and not come back and prove them right in the sense that you weren't good enough to be in it, or you can work harder and then come back and prove it. So from that day, I did about 25 hours a week uh, training. And then lucky enough, the next season I got picked in the New South Wales side. And then from there, I've been ongoing, which is really good. But I suppose... To answer your question that was a day that i took it really seriously because like anything you learn the most from the mistakes you make or the things that don't go your way so that was the turning point
1: back to uh you know this top this podcast is revolving around the topic of transferable skills from jobs to other professions i feel that there are a lot of skills which are transferable from uh how you play cricket um in on the field and how you can operate Uh, later on as well in your life if you want to join any industry or maybe you want to do something else in your life other than cricket. Do you think that there are certain skills uh, which are transferable um, from from sports or from cricket to other professions which you might want to uh, take on once you are retiring
2: from cricket? Not now, of course, after a few (laughs) years down the line. Yeah, definitely. I think... The thing that I always like to tell people is we're people first that can play cricket. Um, I think in a lot of careers and a lot of different workplaces, sometimes you corner into the profession that you do um, and people forget that you're actually a human being first that have those skills first and foremost. But to tie in your question, I think the biggest thing I've learned from cricket and all progressing through that is work ethic is a massive part. No one gets where they are today without working putting in the hard work. On top of that, Patience and resilience, uh, you're going to get knocked back in no matter what career you pick and choose. Some days you'll pick a career to start with and then you find out two years' time that's not for you. So then you've got to regather yourself and go again. Uh, on top of that, I suppose the resilience topic in that is I missed a year of cricket because I was out with injury. Um, and through that, I had to learn how to get myself going again, um, whether it was actually worth it, the career that I'd picked. And you go through a fair bit of time when you're in that much pain to go, hang on, do I really want this? You go through a few times of, am I actually as good as what everyone tells me I am? Are uh, the sleepless nights worth the amount of work that I'm putting into this? So I suppose part of that is you progress so many days in your work career, you go to work, you do the same thing over and over again. And it's almost going back to trusting the process inside the outcome. You can go years on end, working at a goal and then eventually it'll happen. And then that's when you really appreciate the journey that you've been on. So I think the biggest things there would be work ethic, uh, resilience, patience, and then also, I suppose, goal setting um, is a massive one. I've set goals every year. I set short-term goals, which is the next six months, mid-term, which is probably six to 18 months, and then long-term, which is five years onwards. So every year we sit down we go through them and I suppose it's a great way to just keep us on track and allow us to achieve something and work towards saying
1: yep uh, that's exciting I want to bring in George into this discussion as well now um, just to understand from his perspective we've got a lot of friends uh, George in our community who play sports and how they learn different lessons from sports and bring it to life uh, what do you think, uh, according to you and, you know, your community's experience, uh, that sports has got an impact on your day-to-day life as well? Not only as a profession, but, you know, as a hobby um, as well to to kind of relax, to kind of chill out, to kind of make sure that your brain is working in the right direction, even if you're doing something else.
0: Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I, I agree with all the points that Baxter raised, um, but I think he left one out. Um, and I, I'm sure he's going to be going, you're right, as soon as I say it. I think one of the most uh, beneficial things from a team sport is teamwork, um, as opposed to quite often a tennis player, a golfer, um, um, somebody that throws a javelin. Yes, they have a team supporting them, but that's you, you do not learn the full essence of teamwork, unless you're playing a team sport, in my opinion. Um, and part of that teamwork that you learn, and that teamwork ethos that you learn, is that not everybody can have a great day every day. And and if they do, it's never on the same damn day. <laughs> so um, you know we've seen more than enough cricket matches um, lost by the bowlers, won by the batsmen, won by the batsmen. And the bowlers won by the bowlers, lost by the batsmen. The wicket keepers missed. The outfield's done this. You don't see the team belt up whoever made a mistake. If anything, in a team sport, you see the rest of the team rally around, say, it's okay, we've got this, let's go, blah, blah. Quite often in business, people people are supposedly in a team. But if if my team loses in business, quite often they'll then want to go and attack who they perceive as the cause. So when you find people in business that play team sports, historically, um, I've I found you get a much richer workplace environment because they really do understand today I might be up and tomorrow I might be down, but I've got my team around. me. Um, the other thing is that I think sport in general, is a wonderful, wonderful tool to teach us. Today you're on top and you're the number one, and tomorrow somebody says, "Who are you?" Um, so you get that, you get that high and low, and 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 you're only as good as your last game, and all those sorts of things. And I think that's that's something that people have to come to understand in business. I'm I'm in a networking group, and at the moment a whole lot of people are running around because. Um, they're in the top 20 in the region or they're in the top so many in, a, in Australia. And that is an honour and that is that is an accolade and that's worthy. And I've been there too. But I'm also not in it at the moment for various reasons and I'll be back in it again. But whether I'm in there or out of there, I'm still doing what I do. I'm still me, And so I think, I think sport quite often uh, will teach us that... Um, you can play your best game and lose and you can play your worst game and win. It's just the luck of the draw sometimes. Now, if you stay consistent and you do all the things that you're supposed to do, then you, you'll get far more success. And I i, I, liken, I liken sport um, to business. Um, again, I mentioned that I'm in a networking group, which happens to be B&I. And, and they're very rigid on um, you have to turn up, you have to do this, you have to do that, and you have to do all. It's about seven core things that you really need to do if you want to succeed in b and we get a lot of people that come in and after six or 12 months they go, oh, this is too hard. Baxter, how many how many guys did you grow up with that said, oh, I'm not going and doing training every night or I'm not doing this or I'm too busy or I'm not, I can't give up playing with my mates to come down here? It's that same thing, isn't it? If you're not prepared to commit to all the things that you should do and if you think that they're all uh, uh, too hard you'll never get the accolade of the success. So I think there's a lot that can be taken from from sport into into business. And certainly I've coached team sports for over 40 40 something years now and I see yeah. kids grow because of it.
1: Do you have any tough questions for Baxter?
0: Um so you you've you've gone in and you, you went to get selected and you got you got a pat on the head and a pat on the back and said good on your son off you go you didn't make it now that's a that's a that's a bit of a kick in the guts and all of that. What did you do to have the confidence when you went the second time? And not replay. Oh, I could be going in here, and I'll get rejected again, and all that. Because that's a lot of self-defeat that people quite often, if they miss it the first time, they actually sabotage themselves the second time. What do you think you did apart from the work that you did to get that second chance? What do you think that? How do you think you approached it that gave you another edge?
2: I suppose everyone goes through life and. I don't like using the word, but we fail more times than we'll ever succeed. And someone told me a long time ago that if you replace the word failure for a learning, then it gets 100%. rid of all that uh, all that angst around going and that pressure automatically falls off you because when you mention the word failure, everyone seizes up and goes, oh, if I fail, I'm a failure. I'll never pick the, get picked in these sides. I'll never achieve what I've made out to achieve. But if yep. you go... Hang on. Yes, it didn't work out the way I wanted to, but look at how much I learned from it. Um, you come out of it feeling like you actually gained something out of it. And then they haven't attacked your self worth. They haven't done anything like that, but it's actually allowed you to step and progress in a way that you don't see at the time. Don't worry. I know that better than anyone. If I get phoned tomorrow and the selector says you, you've been dropped, I still take it to heart. It's your natural way of handling things. But It's the way you go away and within the next hour, the next 24 hours or the next week you go, well, maybe he is right. Maybe I do need to work on these things and, yeah, I actually am going to take that away and progress in that area. And then if I go back and I'm still not good enough, then I ask for that feedback and I go, okay, yep, fair enough. Or, no, I don't really agree with that, but we'll work with it and we keep going. I suppose we all do what we want to do because we love it or we grew up loving and trying to achieve a dream so you're always going to try and go back to it because you want to do it so much i'm lucky i play a hobby and i get paid for it yes. um, which is the best way to put it as a six-year-old kid i dreamed of playing with the people that i saw on tv and i'm lucky enough now that half the australian players come from new south Wales. so i've had dinner with them i've gone to training with them i faced them in the nets which is scary as anything but I'm able to do all those things because I have failed and I have bounced back and I do keep coming back as much as it hurts. It always hurts to be rejected, whether that's in business, whether it's sport, people are going to tell you you're not good enough most days of the week, but you've got to have that self-belief in you to be able to come back and bounce back and keep going, if that answers your question.
1: Yep. Just to continue to that, Baxter, um, I think you have already touched upon that. But as George pointed out, that there are a lot of times in life when you're going through the best of the best periods of your life. You're scoring the maximum runs. You're getting in century every match. Or you are, I think you are a wicket keeper. So you're getting the stumping done every second ball. Uh, everything is going your way. But then there are days when nothing goes your way. You missed out the stumping. You got out for a duck. Um, or you couldn't, uh, your team was not on the right side of, uh, on the day. How do you tackle your mindset on those days as an individual and then how does that translate as a team? Do you think that uh, at, in those kind of times, the role of a coach that we have, a cricket coach, a head coach, is also equally important uh, as the team
2: itself? Yeah, definitely. Coaching and support staff are vital in any aspect. And for us, who spend so much time on the road and so much time away, they are our standing boards most of the time. But usually it's the players that rally around you the most. And I nick off more of the times than I like to admit. I've got more ducks than I have centuries. It's just <laughs> the way that sport goes and most things go. But it's times where it's a lot of training and we're lucky that our teammates see how much effort we put in every day so whether we fail whether we succeed they know how much time and effort we have put into it so they treat us as who we are it doesn't matter if we get 100 it doesn't matter if we get a duck still invite us to dinner they'll still talk to us because we've realized over the years that we are human beings and we make mistakes like anyone say in business you miss a deal you know we know you were trying we know you tried your hardest to get the deal and who knows It could have, the other company could have um, not been able to afford the deal, or something might have happened to make them recluse off that. So, there's so many things that are out of your um, control. And if they don't succeed, they don't succeed. But I feel like, to answer your question, those bonds that you build with the teammates um, really allow you to go out and learn and learn the hardest way in failure. So, And you also, if you do fail, you look back on what you have achieved over the time and realize that, yeah, it was just a bad day. We all have them. And maybe tomorrow, like you said, I might go out and score 100.
1: Do you think that we need more people from the sporting background to kind of join the industry in the later part of the career? This was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, um, because I thought that uh, since you are in sports... Uh, what is your future goal as an individual, and do you really think that a lot of people in sports can add value to other sectors later on in their career when they have retired from cricket and they have learned something uh, from cricket, but then they can apply it in the other parts of other parts of their life to maybe earn some money or not only earn some money but give give value, create value for uh, companies later on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Realistically. I'm 23. I've probably got 12 years left at my professional career. Usually we retire around 35 from being an athlete. And then you have to go out into the real world, as people call it, and get another job. I suppose the traits and the techniques that you learn in my sport as cricket, um, you can put them in any job and have success through it. I've been team sport, maybe you've led a team, so there's your leadership, you know how to talk to people, you know how to interact with people and communicate, which is a massive, massive part of any job or any way of life. Uh, Goal setting, all the traits that I've said before, uh, we have to keep working. It's the way the climate is that you can't just retire at 35 and put your feet up and hopefully sit cocktails on the beach for the rest of your life. Um, But I suppose all that talent, all that, time and hard work and all those learnings would go to waste if we didn't go into the business world or a different industry we've got so much to share and so much to pass on to people whether that is in sport whether it's in business whether it's just your everyday person you meet on a park bench somewhere um so i feel like it's vital that we go into the workforce um and so many people have gone into it they are ex New um, Wales captain went into finance. Uh, Drew Mitchell with the Wallabies is in real estate. Um, so we all definitely do go into different avenues and different um, sectors of work. And I feel like those traits and those learnings that we um, pick up over the time is an easy way to go into business and hopefully allow us to succeed.
1: So you were talking about your short-term and long-term goals, Baxter, a while ago. Um, So why not talk about that? Uh, What is your short-term goal at the moment and what's your long-term goal? Are you trying to replace Brad Hedden in the near
2: future for Australia? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so short-term goal is to hopefully get through a season injury-free, which is always a nice thing. I had a couple of injuries last year. I dislocated my thumb and dislocated my shoulder. So it wasn't ideal, um, but taught me a fair bit about resilience and came back and trying to ensure that I'm mentally and physically prepared for anything. So short term would be get through a season and dominate a season. Um, With that would be averaging 30 plus batting wise and take most of the chances I can take. And then long term, hopefully the next five years I'm playing for Australia. Um, It's a lofty goal, but you've got to set lofty goals to hopefully achieve them because we're all working towards saying for the days you don't want to get out of bed and go to work, it makes it a lot easier to get up and Go to try to achieve something, and then once my career does finish, uh, I want to go down the road of clinical psychology or in that field. So I'm currently doing a bachelor in psychology, and then after that's finished, I'll go into a masters. And you never know; it, twelve years time I might be a doctor. Mm. Hopefully, maybe we'll see, or at least have the doctor title. Yep.
1: Did you have anything to say on that, George? You...
0: Yeah. Um... So you're currently doing some work with um, charity um, and you've got your, your cricket and all of that. What have you found that you've been able to transfer from your cricket into your charity work?
2: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It's time management's a massive one. Um, we only have so many hours in the day to fit everything in, so I've gotten a lot better at scheduling things putting everything in my calendar and make sure that I'm not double booking myself or similar things like that. But I'd say it's probably the other way around. I've learned more in the charity space to bring back to cricket than I have the other way. I suppose the best thing about being involved in charities and the charity that I am is it's a perspective shifter. Like I said before, I I live out a dream. I live out of a hobby. But sometimes when you do get in ruts and you do face those hard times, you think that, everything's really difficult and life is hard. But then I'm very fortunate that in my work at the charity, I see people that are literally struggling to stay alive and they don't know how long they've got or they don't have access to the life that they once wanted to. So when you go and I do a fair few hospital visits and um, see people struggling like that, I'm able to go back to cricket. And if I do nick off for nothing, then it's okay. I'm very fortunate that I'm not a doctor. I don't have to save lives. And my bad day is I nick off. Their bad day is a really bad place. So yeah. I suppose it's gone the other way. So charities really helped me to open my eyes to the world. Um, and actually, if I do fail, my failure is not that bad. Mm. I still get picked. I still get paid to play cricket. I still turn up the next day. And a coach said to me one year that, no matter how bad the result is, the sun will still come up the next day.
0: <laughs> I, I love, that, that is one of my most common sayings. I, I I will say to somebody, you know what? I'm 67 years of age and up until this morning, the sun came up the next day. There's no reason to think it's not going to happen tomorrow. Get on with it. Yeah,
2: it hasn't and failed so, me yet.
0: Yeah, so whoever told you that, I respect them and think they're a very, very astute person.
1: (laughs) So, Will, we are talking to someone, Baxter, then, as per your long-term goal, uh, who can potentially be playing for Australia in the 2024 T20 World Cup. Um, Is that what we should consider?
2: I suppose you're always hopeful that you're going to do what you can the short term. I'll never say no to a question because it's the way that our world works, a few injuries you could be thrown into to the deep end and hopefully you um, succeed and you do well and you take your opportunity. So you always have to be ready, no matter what the timing is or what the team is. So hopefully, you never know. But at the minute, I'm just focusing on what I'm doing every day to try and make myself prepared for that moment if I ever do get the opportunity, whether it's in two years or five years
0: or 10 years.
1: Yep. And I think yeah. if you know about... Yep. Go on, Josh. Did
0: you did you have a um, did you have a particular keeper that you um, aspired to be like, or wanted to shape yourself? I want to be like him, or I want to be like him. Or yeah,
2: so you? I grew up, and the reason I'm a keeper originally was because I watched Adam Gilchrist play cricket. Yeah. He sort of ruined it for all of us because now we have to be able to bat as well. So he's a <laughs> well. Um, that's the first sure. name. That's the first name which came to my mind as well. <laughs> yeah, so he was the reason I got into cricket and the reason I'm a keeper. I was lucky to meet him a couple of times as he's commentator now on most of the games, so it's been really nice. And then once he retired, um, Brad Haddin was a massive role model of mine. And it wasn't until later on that I admired how much he did for the country and how much he well he played, but it was more his off-field struggles that really I admired. Um, it's public now, so um, but his daughter suffered from um, leukemia. I think it was. Mm-hmm. So he took a year out and put his family first, which is a massive thing for any professional athlete or any business. Um, to have the confidence to go, look, I'm gonna my family's number one, I'm gonna step away from whatever it is, and hopefully my job will be back there in a year. And if it's not, then I did what I had to do. So that was the reason why I admired him so much in his career, and he went out with such belief. He believed in himself that he could do anything he possibly could. Um, I've been lucky enough to have him. I've caught up with, for coffee with him. I, he's overlooked me for the last couple of years, which has been really nice. So I've been able to meet these role models and these heroes of mine as I grew up. And they've been exactly like they were in, on TV, which has been really nice. Um, but yeah, Adam Gilchrist to start and then Brad Haddon.
0: Fair enough. Back to you, Sir
1: Yep, um, and I think uh, even in India this year we saw one of the Indian wicket keepers getting injured, badly injured. Uh, Rishabh Panth, who had a car accident earlier this on, he's a test cricketer for India, test cricketer and wicket keeper for India in test matches. Um, and you know how a car accident can actually spoil your two years of your cricketing life. Uh, we came to know through that incident. But uh, Baxter, might want to ask you uh, one of my last questions for today is, do you think that sports is also a good way to practice mindfulness and be a hobby for people who are not taking it as a profession, but uh, it's a good way for them to divert their mind towards something else?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think everyone tries to get their exercise somehow whether it's going to the gym, whether it's going for a run, whatever it is, I'm very lucky that I play a team sport, as we've mentioned already. So I get to go play with my best mates every day. Um, The two of my best mates that I still have today from school, I met when I was 10 and they're both in the same cricket team. Um, So it's those connections and those bonds that you make, partially because we both failed together multiple days in a row and we've succeeded together. So we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows, And it's a great way to decompress. And I've played with many adults and many 30-year-olds who have had full-time work, work nine to five on Monday through Friday and love coming to play cricket on a Saturday. And it's great to see how much joy and happiness they get out of doing that, even if they do fail. But it's the fact that they can decompress. They forget about life for a bit and it acts as an escape. They don't have to worry about the big deal they've got coming up on Monday or the big presentation they've got. So it does alleviate them of all those stresses for a bit, which is really nice and it brings the Yeah, mindfulness is a good way to put it. It puts everything at ease for a bit and gives them something else to focus on.
1: Yep. Um, any final questions from you, George?
0: Um, not necessarily a final question, of course, Sarah. Uh,
1: <laughs> of course.
0: Uh, but as a, a supporting statement. When I coached the – I coached soccer players for many, many years and numbers of the parents would be be pushing the kids that they – oh, not sure he can come on Saturday because he's got to study for this or he's got to learn to play the violin or they've got to do this or they've got to do this. I used to say to the parents – if all it's about is passing the exam, if all it's about is is getting to the next level of playing the violin, you're actually going to have a child at the end of the at the end of this that's good at that, but they're not good at anything else. They're not good at socialising. They're not good at interacting. They're not good at getting beaten. They're not good at enjoying success with others. There's so many things that come from that time out, and I. Um, I've had a terrible year this year because of uh, business. I haven't been able to uh, play soccer much this year, but I, I still play in an over fifties comp, uh, walking soccer. Um, and our team is called the Tilopia Tragics because uh, mm-hmm. it's an over fifties comp. But our our youngest player is sixty two or sixty three years of age. Um, so and our and our oldest player now would Gordon would now be seventy. Just the interaction between meeting up with those people, it makes a huge difference because you can't help but forget what's happening in business when you're on the field. Um, And so anybody watching this that thinks, oh, I'm too busy to play sport, if you're too busy, you should be playing sport. It's a wonderful release and it, it causes you to think about others and other things for just that amount of time, but that makes a huge difference.
1: Of course, and I've I've started going to the gym two months ago, George. Um, I find a slight difference in the way I approach things after starting to go to the gym, uh, especially when you're doing it with your personal trainer um, who's going to throw you out of your comfort zone whenever you go and have a session with him. So he's going to tell you that, you know, if you're doing 10 reps, go for 15. If you're doing 8 kgs, go for 14. You know, that's what we do in sales all the time. You know, we're always targeting to get more sales in or... know whatever profession you are in you're always targeting to level up yourself but you're doing it progressively one step at a time and that's how you kind of learn new things every day isn't it
0: yeah there's a, a wonderful um business speaker a fellow by the name of stan phelps and he's got a series of books uh which both of you would benefit from reading um and it's it's the goldfish series by stan phelps um and one of the things that Stan talks about is um, whenever, you're in, whenever you're in a goldfish tank, one of the things that limits the size of goldfish growing is actually the tank that they're in. So we, we all think that goldfish are sort of fairly small, but they've got an ability to grow quite large. But because there's so many of them in a small tank, they, they just tend to environmentally not go further than they could. So he always, he talks about always have a bigger tank to move into. So for you, Jordan, that's local uh, local cricket, New South Wales, Australia, where do I go after here sort of thing. And, and Sarab, for you and your career, it's obviously a career path. But a wonderful, wonderful uh, series of books. Uh, and anybody watching this podcast, I, I had the pleasure of um, listening to Stan again. I was at a networking meeting last week. Um, and it reminded me of some, some real pearlers that he has in them.
1: It's not Jordan, it's Baxter. Sorry,
0: <laughs> my apologies. That's you got right. me that. oh, yeah, that
1: was, So that's exactly what happens, listeners, when we record back-to-back episodes on different days uh, with different speakers. And the we old guy's
0: to- got Alzheimer's. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to
2: let it slide, but it was your co-host. They just couldn't let um, you live with it.
0: Uh, no, No, Baxter, we both have bus licences. Uh, yeah <laughs> but normally normally we 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 will put a blanket over each other before we drive the bus over
2: it's <laughs> very nice of of you
0: any
1: final comments from you, Baxter, before this entry into a very dark age of jokes
2: uh not really no thank you for having me it's probably the first one but I suppose the biggest thing that I've learned the last five years is we're all ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So I suppose the biggest thing I've learned is if we treat people as people and we care as much as we do, it doesn't matter the result that we do, whether it's on a sporting field, whether it's in an office, whether it's with family, at the end of the day, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. So keep enjoying what you're doing. And like we've already discussed, the sun will come up the next day no matter what happens.
0: you well indeed.
2: Perfect.
1: Thank you so much, Baxter. Really appreciate you spending time with us. Um, and I hope to see you again, you know, for different things. Um, I also run my meetups on the weekends. So feel free to join us for any coastal walk if you wish to do that. Um, and recently I've started off with something called as Coffee catchups. Love to meet you over a cup of coffee. Um, and I'm sure George and I would love to meet you in person for, for any kind of other stuff that you want to uh, share with us uh, personally and if you want to come back again on the podcast thank you so much
2: my absolute pleasure my phone's always on as well if you ever need anything so thank you and hopefully it's helped someone cheers man
0: this is an ultimate global podcast hello and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Sorab Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.